The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the fifth chapter. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. I've been thinking about the fact that surely there's never been a time when people have had access to the amount of information that we have access to right now. Yes? I mean, I can, I can find out just about anything by going no further than my smartphone. And even if you don't have a smartphone, still, we have access to just a ridiculously crazy amount of information compared to what we did back, for example, when I was growing up, which was, I mean, you know, it's kind of a long time ago now, but really not all that long ago in the grand scheme of things. When I was growing up, our families, many of you know this, you're my age, our families, TV had three channels none of which were on 24 hours. They all shut down on night, at nighttime and played this little test screen at you until they came on again at 6 in the morning. Now, I not only have more 24-hour news channels than we had channels, period, back then. I have more channels, period, than I can even count. I don't know what it says, but sometimes I still can't find anything to watch, but that's just a different story. What's curious, however... And by curious, I mean really so. And by really so, I mean really? What's curious is that while we each of us do have access to an unprecedented amount of information, there seems to be in our country these days this kind of intellectual gridlock, which as nearly as I can tell stems from the fact that people can't agree on how much of all the information we have access to is actually true. Part of that, of course, is because the same powerful technology that allows us to have access to so much information gives a great deal of power for the spread of false information or slanted information or disinformation under the guise of being informative. This can take the form of deliberately fake news. This can take the form of deliberately labeling or blowing off real news as fake news. 
when confronted by things that I don't agree with or like. This can take the form of putting out alternative facts to counter the conclusions that people have drawn from plain old regular facts. It can even quite innocently take the form of spreading news that it isn't true, but it sure looked true, and so we hit share or retweet. I've done that a few times, gotten burned. I try very hard to, to verify the truth of things before I ever share them, but sometimes I've gotten, I've gotten blown up by it. Not to mention that some of the places I use to check truth before I share or retweet, like my favorite, Snopes.com, I've had someone say to me, well, how do you know that what they're saying is true? I mean, who are these Snopes people? Or the radio news source that I personally get most of my news from. Personally, I think it's the most unbiased thing out there. I listen to NPR a lot. I've had very good friends of mine say to me, you seriously think NPR is not biased? And then they say to me, and they get some science on their side, they say to me that NPR is biased in exactly the same way that Roger is biased, and of course, it's proven you can't hear your own biases. You want the truth? I'm told then you should listen to such and such, and so and so, because I've listened to them. They present the truth that is fair and balanced. When my daughter worked at the Sheraton, some of you have been to Share, and there were uh, two TVs, probably still are. I don't go there so much anymore now that she's not working there. Um, there's two TVs in the restaurant up there behind the bar, and routinely, unless there was a Hawkeye game on, one of them would be on Fox News and one would be on CNN. I don't know if it was coincidence or if it was somebody's just kind of sense of humor, but I always found that humorous, is that routinely the one on the left was Fox News. <laughs> and the one on the right was CNN. Because of closed captioning, you could watch both of them at the same time, but you really couldn't watch both of them at the same time without getting dizzy. And so there we are in a country right now that I think in many ways is kind of dizzily divided. And we can't agree on what's true and what's false, on what's real news and what's fake news, on what are facts and what are alternative facts upon which to attempt a diagnosis of the divisions, not to mention even beginning to move forward, move forward from them. But I think that's kind of the world we do and probably will continue to live in when we can't meet at a thing called the truth, which we can all agree on. And then, of course, go ahead to think what you think based on the truth. Instead of doing what some people are more and more inclined to do these, these days, which is to start by thinking what I think. And then I go looking to find some source to confirm that what I think is true by telling me that it agrees with me. And my goodness, it sure sounds true. And all the people I agree with think it's true too. Now I say all of that to get to this. Our gospel reading for today. The opening verses of what has come to be known as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Those first verses that are called the Beatitudes, the Blesseds, 
Are they true? It's, it's actually kind of a real question. Because seriously, are the meek, as opposed to the harsh, the brash, the manipulative, the calculating, are the meek truly the ones who will inherit the earth? I mean, how's that going so far? Is it truly the poor in spirit, not the proud in spirit, whose rewards are kingdoms? Is doing the totally right thing and then just being dumped on for it, is that really something to rejoice and be glad about? Is being merciful, kind, generous, forgiving, in ways that people haven't done anything to deserve, is that really truly better than trying to create a world where people shape up and they do their part and then they get exactly nothing less, nothing more than what they deserve? Does hungering and thirsting for righteousness really truly fill you more full than hungering and thirsting for all those other things. And by things that by and large mean things that people hunger and thirst for. Are the Beatitudes true? Is Jesus' intro to his Sermon on the Mount, in other words, good news or fake news? I think this is true. The Beatitudes are some of the best news you will ever hear, for they are absolutely true. But they're not necessarily true in the way that commandments are true. The Beatitudes, rather, I think, are primarily true in the way that promises are true. Let me say that again, then we'll talk a bit about it. The Beatitudes are some of the best news you will ever hear because they are absolutely true, but they are not necessarily true in the way that commandments are true. The Beatitudes are primarily true, rather, in the way that promises are true. I say that for starters because, well, if the Beatitudes are understood to be true in the way that commandments are true, what do you do about the fact that You know, you're trying to run around obeying them, but what do you do about the fact that there's one commandment telling you to mourn and another one telling you to rejoice and be glad? I mean, which one are you supposed to obey? I think you start by remembering that Beatitudes don't primarily address us as commandments. They address us as promises. Promises which promise, for example, that if you do what is right and are wronged as a reward for it, He whose rightness is the rightness of forever will see you through and in the end will make all things right for you, for forever. Promises which promise that when you mourn in this life, there is one there with you to comfort you, comfort you with his presence every moment of your life, but comfort you too with the reminder that he's the one who raises the dead 
unto eternal life. Promises which promise that the kingdom of heaven won't wait until heaven to reveal itself to you, but will rather come to you and dwell in you richly here and now when you, not with pride in your heart, but humility in your heart, know that life isn't just about you. And that if you think it is, you are poverty-stricken. No matter the size of your stock portfolio now that the Dow has topped 20,000. Promises which promise that every time you are merciful to others, mercy in its own merciful way is heaped back upon you in the process. Promises which promise that when you do the things that make for peace, even if the world fights you for it, and the world will, when you do the things that make for peace, you are smiled upon by your Father in heaven, whose gift is that peace which passes all understanding. Promises which promise that when you are meek, which is to say gentle, which of course is to say weak in the eyes of many in the world, you are in fact being strong with strength that nothing on earth is stronger than. For he who has already ascended to the throne of thrones of the king of kings, after all, is not the wolf, but the lamb. Promises which promise not only that the pure in heart will see God, but promise too that through the blood of the Lamb, purity of heart is a gift of God. All of those truths are more, are truths that Jesus here at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount does not command are true, All of those truths and more are truths that Jesus here at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount promises are true. And of course, in so doing, he turns the world and its playbooks full of alternative truths upside down. Which should not come as a shock, really. Because, of course, in the end, promises are as true as the one who speaks them. And whereas the world seems mightily entrenched in its determination to bless those kings who climb to the top of its mountains to rule with commandments and executive orders and military might as needed, King Jesus is a king who would prove undissuadable in his determination to climb to the top of Calvary's holy mountain to rule with literally give it everything you've got, love. And hate, wise in the ways of the world and with hammer, nails, and a tombstone in its hands, 
would on that Friday sneer and say, how's that love thing working out for you, Jesus? It would be the third day before he would answer. And his answer would be, love worked out heavenly. Sisters and brothers, the Beatitudes, they are not alternative facts. They are an alternative worldview. What do you think? Are they true? If so, then this from the prophet Micah is also true. What does the Lord require of you? Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. Amen.